Welcome to Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode jumps back into our conversation about protecting patients against inappropriate practice expansions, including the latest on AMA advocacy efforts. The conversation is led by Dr. Sandra Freihofer, immediate past chair of the AMA Board of Trustees. She's joined by Kim Horvath, JD, senior attorney at the AMA Advocacy Resource Center. Derek Norton, Interim Director of Government Relations at the Medical Association of Georgia, and Sean Graham, Director of Government Affairs at the Washington State Medical Association. If you missed part one, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. And now, Dr. Freihofer. Many thanks to each of our panelists for being here. I want to talk about balancing priorities and um, certainly the Washington State Medical Association and the Medical Association of Georgia each had a number of legislative priorities this year. Um, in Washington State, WSMA has led efforts to reform prior authorization, ensuring access to reproductive health care services and addressing gun violence. So, Sean, can you tell us more about those issues and how did your advocacy fit with uh, within your overall legislative uh, agenda? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would estimate that our work on scope comprised about a third of the resources that we were expending through the, the legislative session. And on balance, it, it was a really successful session for the Washington State Medical Association. Um, as you noted, we saw a bill passed here around prior authorization reform to standardize and modernize prior authorization, expedite turnaround times um, for determinations, as well as build on the, the federal rule through CMS that folks are probably aware of that requires integrated electronic processes for prior auth. So we're very pleased to see that move through this year. Um, and then also worked on a package of bills around abortion and reproductive care access, um, seeking to make sure that there are um, liability protections in place for patients and physicians. Uh, we wanna protect physician licenses. We wanna ensure access um, to abortion medication. Um, and then the last uh, kind of big bucket in terms of our priority issues, what we were helping to proactively bring forward this year um, was around addressing gun violence, requiring background checks and waiting periods for firearm purchases, um, affecting a, an assault weapons ban um, and imposing some liability for gun manufacturers. And then there's you know a host of other issues um, that we worked on this legislative session, telemedicine, you know, consolidation, um, the ability of physician groups to enter into partnerships is a big issue in our state. Um, we have a healthcare cost transparency board that I know some other states do too, that um, folks are looking to beef up and um, build out an enforcement component of, and then any number of insurance mandates and, and regulations that were considered this year. Well, as you know, AMA now has a, a gun violence task force, and many of many of the items that you just mentioned are part of our AMA recovery plan for America's physicians. So, you know, we're all just kind of working together to try to, to work on these state-by-state -state battles. But, Sean, again, thank you uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, Derek, in Georgia, and thanks to continued advocacy, MAG has led the way for surprise billing revisions, network adequacy, and CANDOR. So um, please share more details about these victories in Georgia. And what is CANDOR? Sure, glad to. Uh, you know, SCOPE was certainly front and center and uh, at top of our legislative priorities list. Uh, Sean, you said, you know, your, a third of your time was spent on it. I would, I would say 50% or higher in Georgia. We just had so much coming at us. 
uh, and we expended tremendous resources on on those issues. But but the three other issues that were front and center in our legislative priorities list, like, like you mentioned, uh, surprise billing revisions, network adequacy, and candor. Um, HB one uh, HB two ninety five by Representative Lee Hawkins, who is a, a a dentist, chairman of the Health and Human Services Committee in the House, and one of our best relationships at the Capitol. He brought this bill forward and we worked with him. Um, Bethany, my predecessor in this role, uh, worked with him a lot on it. Revises Georgia's current surprise billing laws by clarifying what constitutes an unfair claim settlement practice by an insurer. Um, it expands the timeline for filing requests for independent dis dispute resolution and for the IDR entity to come to a decision from 30 days to 60 days and grants additional flexibilities to the Department of Insurance to administer the program, uh, including fines for noncompliance. And we're pleased to have been able to get this bill across the finish line this session. Uh, Senate Bill 20 dealt with network adequacy. This was brought by uh, one of our physician legislators, Kay Kirkpatrick, and it authorizes the Department of Insurance to set and enforce network adequacy standards. Uh, it really just gives the insurance commissioner in Georgia the tools he needs to increase uh, network adequacy in our state and uh, also pleased to say that this bill passed and was signed into law actually on the same day as the truth and transparency uh, legislation and then uh, Sharon Cooper um, who's a longtime ally in the house formerly the um, health and human services chair and comes to all the mag events and her her husband was a physician she brought HB 470 uh, which was the candor legislation uh, it's a dispute resolution bill that would have provided an additional uh, and alternate process for patients, physicians, and facilities to resolve un unanticipated outcomes. Um, we got this through the House. Uh, I think it was unanimous, but for whatever reason, it didn't fall high enough on the Senate's priority list, and so it it was not pulled up for a vote, but it still remains. We're a two-year two-year biennial uh, here in Georgia, and so it'll be eligible for consideration, having already passed the House uh, this year in the Senate next year. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. Well, I know all of those key contacts you mentioned, and we've worked hard over the years uh, within the state of Georgia to develop relationships with those key contacts. Um, so thank you for that hard work. So um, Derek and Sean, how did each of your state organizations encourage uh, physician engagement on the scope bills? And do you have any tips for physicians who want to be active advocates on these issues? So Derek, uh, let's start with you on that one. Sure. You know, I've, I've been doing this for about 20 years or more, and I've worked with other groups and associations along the way, and I've, I've seen many organizations attempt to have an impact on legislative activity uh, from, from the grassroots level. But I have never seen anything like how physicians in Georgia engage to move the needle on important bills. Um, they stepped up in a huge way again this year, and it, it reminded me a lot of the grassroots effort 
uh, gosh, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago now, I can't believe it's been that long, uh, when we were uh, in the middle of the surprise billing fight in Georgia. And um, MAG was at odds at that time with the powerful insurance committee chairman uh, in the House, who's now the rules chair, um, but we couldn't keep his bill, uh, which we opposed in that instance from reaching the House floor for a vote. But when it did reach the floor, the emails and texts and phone calls uh, to all legislators by, by our Georgia physicians. And, and these were not form letters. These were individual, well-thought-out responses um, and communications made a huge difference. And we were able to defeat his bill during that battle on the House floor. And, and just like that battle this year, the same type effort and outreach from the same physicians uh, specialty societies and, um, and, and, and county medical societies this year helped us defeat the CRNA independent practice uh, legislation. And, and as far as tips for physicians who want to be engaged on these issues and advocate successfully, um, you know, it, it comes down to just simply getting to know your, your legislators, um, not when they're in session and have 10,000 issues coming at them uh, rapid fire, but but in the off season, uh, either just you know right right after session is over with, or in the months preceding the next uh, legislative session, you know, I encourage all all physicians to go meet with your legislator at their at a, the local coffee shop, get to know them, tell them that you're interested in what they're doing, and that um, that you want to share what's important to you. Let me tell you, a physician constituent coming to speak with one of these citizen legislators who don't necessarily know anything about the healthcare space. You know, these are part-time legislators in Georgia who are bankers and farmers and you, you name it, whatever else. Uh, your perspective on healthcare issues is very meaningful to them. And, and if you can develop that relationship and have their cell phone and they have yours, and then when legislation's moving at the Capitol, they use you as a resource. Uh, there's nothing more valuable than that to, to you uh, as an individual physician, your society and the house of medicine in general. So uh, that, that's my advice. Just, just take the time uh, out of everybody's busy schedules and reach out. Uh, they're very approachable and, uh, and, and you'll be well served by doing that. Well, certainly the, the patients of, of Georgia and the physicians who care for them are very fortunate to have a very strong uh, medical association looking after us. And Derek, thank you for your hard work. And I remember when I, I went through the Georgia Physicians Leadership Academy, uh, getting to know your congressperson, you know, your legislator and having their cell phone was so important. And it, it really, I mean, I think this particular session just proves how important that is. So, um, Sean, how have you gotten uh, more physicians involved in these efforts in Washington State? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's a similar dynamic, and, and Derek said most of it better than I can. Uh, a lot of the tools that WSMA would utilize, I think, are, are pretty common in terms of promoting these issues in our messaging, utilizing calls to action through emails. We, you know, in any given session, we have hundreds, again, if not thousands of messages that are generated that way that go into legislators in addition to um, independent messaging that, that physicians may do or that may come through their uh, physician specialty organizations. We organize an annual legislative summit, an opportunity for folks um, to come to the Capitol and, and have meetings with their legislators, talk about WSMA's um, priorities. But to Derek's point, I, I think that, you know, what is most important is building those relationships over the interim. I think I imagine you know the dynamic in Washington is typical of elsewhere. 
um, you're going to get 15 minutes, best case scenario, uh, with a legislator during session. And you know there might be a lot that, to fit into the conversation. By contrast, over the interim, um, you know you can regularly meet with them in the community for an hour. Um, invite them to your practice, even have them come. You know, um, see where you work and and have a sense of um, what your work environment looks like. Build those relationships in the interim. I, I think it it can be hugely helpful to have physicians reaching out to their legislators during session, even if they don't have an existing relationship. But what's really going to get the attention of a legislator is when that they can remember, oh yeah, you know, I've met that person, we've connected on multiple occasions, you know, I have trust in them, um, you know, I have confidence in, in the information that they're providing me uh, during legislative session. And I know folks are busy, physicians are busy. Um, you know who else is busy? Non-physicians. And dentists make time and optometrists make time, chiropractors make time. It's imperative um, that the physician community does as well. And, you know, the only thing that I would note, um, this just came to me, Run for office, y'all. Uh, I've been at WSMA for 10 years. And um, I was actually just coming on, unfortunately, as the last uh, physician legislator that we had in our state was unelected. And there have been a number who have ran unsuccessfully since. Um, we've tried to support them um, where we can. We're fortunate to have a physician in Congress in Washington State. I should mention that, a pediatrician, Dr. Kim Schreier. Um, but at the state legislature, we haven't had a physician in 10 years. And and more broadly, um, there's been a lot of att attrition of healthcare providers in our state legislature. If you went back a couple of years, there was quite a few um, different types of, of healthcare providers. And at current, um, I don't believe we have a practicing healthcare provider in our Washington state legislature. So out of 147 legislators, um, we've got a non-practicing dentist and two non-practicing pharmacists. Um, and that's really it. So to Derek's point, you know, legislators come from all walks of life. They're not versed in, in healthcare. Um, they are really looking to physicians in their community um, to provide them information on these issues, ideally through the legislative interim, um, and to be building those relationships year-round. Let me let me add something to what Sean just said, Dr. Pryhofer, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. sure. the, the value of having physician legislators uh, behind the ropes, yeah, it, it is, it is, I just can't stress that enough. And in Georgia, we've been blessed. We, prior to this session, we had five uh, physician legislators, um, and and up to last year, the chair of the Senate Health and Human Services Committee and the chair of the Senate Insurance Committee were both physicians. And I don't know that that's the case been the case anywhere else in the country. Um, we have four now. Uh, we have two in the House and two in the Senate. Um, but the program that Dr. Fryhofer mentioned before, our, our Physician Leadership Academy in Georgia, we encourage. Uh, physicians to to run for office and and you know I don't know about other states out there but Georgia experiences incredible turnover uh, for legislators every year here I think 50 something out of our 236 members of the legislature were new right so identifying those seats and and being able to kind of have a crystal ball and look out a couple of years or four years and understand that some of these more seasoned legislators are going to be retiring um, identifying positions in those districts and, and trying to encourage them early to run. They've got all kinds of support from medical society and, and, and um, their, their, their peer groups. And so if they just, if they can make the time, um, it's, it's, a, it's just an incredible asset to have them in the legislature. 
And we've so, also had a few um, phys physician spouses that are in the legislature. So if the physicians are too are too busy to run, get your spouse to run. How's that? <laughs> um, Sean, did you want to say something in addition? I'm, I don't, I don't no, know. No, just that I'm jealous of y'all in uh, in Georgia. We we are fortunate to have a couple of physician spouses here. Um, but yeah, I, I would give a lot to have some um, physicians uh, in elected office here too in the legislature. How do we advocate for physician rights as compared to non-physician providers on the hospital level? So we've had some experience with this in, in Washington state and, and I'll say, you know, where this has come up, I can think of some different examples. Um, a lot of these have taken non-legislative routes um, direct advocacy, you know, it's it's been the case that um, physicians might have an issue with a health systems policy rather than with state policy. So not something that necessarily required legislation, um, but something that we were able to work with uh, the particular health system and make sure that there's an awareness. You know, the one that comes to mind um, for me, um, the where that there's an awareness of the the titles uh, that practitioners may be using in the the hospitals and making it clear you know, physicians as opposed to non-physicians uh, who are working in the hospitals. Okay, Kim, uh, again, uh, thank you so much for your work with SOPP. So how can uh, physicians learn more about AMA's work on scope of practice? Um, thanks, Dr. Freyharper. So hopefully you don't have to look far. I think there are a couple ways. First off, if you don't already subscribe to Advocacy Update, that's a great way. We try to share um, some of the state level activity um, in that in that resource and, um, and and including kind of updates on uh, the most current legislative activity. Um, we often there are often AMA news articles talking about the work on scope of practice either at the state level or just more generally about the issue. So that's another place and a place where you can often learn. The AMA website also has some resources if you just want to learn more about the issue. And then another place that I would encourage, and again, kind of speaking about um, physicians who maybe want to run for office or want to be physician advocates, um, the State Advocacy Summit is another place where you can learn not just about scope of practice, but all the issues that uh, physicians across the country care about. Um, it is a health policy conference that the unit that I work in, the Advocacy Resource Center puts on every year. It occurs in January. And it's a time when we bring in national experts to talk about a variety of legislative issues. So that's another way where you can dive in much more deep and learn about the issues and um, get to know people like Derek and Sean, who are usually in attendance and, and, and other physician leaders in your state. Um, and uh, so that's another opportunity as well. So I think uh, this upcoming uh, SAS State Advocacy Summit will be in January in Amelia Island, um, which is which is a really nice venue. So, and it's it's a little more casual. It's um, it's really a great way to learn and get to know other uh, other people within the AMA. Um, so, thanks so much for that, um, Kim, and and thank you for your leadership in this space. SOPP AMA Scope of Practice Partnership is such a great resource for these advocacy efforts. And uh, this discussion has been so informative, but unfortunately we're out of time for today's session. Thank you for being engaged on issues that most directly impact America's physicians and our patients. And remember, AMA is your ally and your partner as we work to create a healthcare system that's better for patients and the physicians who care for them. Thank you and have a great rest of your day.
don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe to Moving Medicine wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.